Good evening, saints. Uh, if you could turn in your Bibles to Galatians uh, chapter 1. We'll be in chapter 1, verses 6 through 10 this evening. I'm delighted and humbled to once again have the privilege to exposit God's word for you. Um, the Lord in his kind providence has actually ordained that the text that we're in um, corresponds pretty well to the text that Pastor Raymond preached this morning. Uh, so I hope you'll be able to see some of those similarities as I preach. So first, I'll read the scripture, uh, and then I'll pray, and then we'll begin. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we come to you in reverence, fear, joy, and gratitude, thanking you for the privilege of prayer, the privilege we've experienced tonight of lifting our voices to you and knowing that you hear and respond to us who are but dust, and all for the sake of your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us so that we might be reconciled to you and adopted into your family. Lord, we earnestly pray that you would impart wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit as we seek to hear your word in Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Grant that the soil of our hearts would be ready to receive your word and grant that your word would bear the fruits of repentance and faith so that we might grow up in every way into the image of Christ, both individually and together, as your holy church. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit belong praise and glory and honor forevermore. Amen. Amen. We live in a time when beliefs, ideas, and opinions are a dime a dozen, where there appears to be no limit to what we can choose to believe, and where the internet provides us a limitless catalog of options regarding political truths, social truths, dietary truths, parental truths, uh, philosophical truths, and yes, theological truths. And to make matters worse, countless amounts of people are flocking to social media and to other media outlets to let you know that they have discovered the right way to see things in a particular area, that their viewpoint, not others, is the right viewpoint, and that their message, not others, is the right message. Now, don't get me wrong. There is nothing wrong with having conviction in your beliefs. And because of who God is, we know that truth indeed is objective. And when messages contradict each other, then we know that one or both of them are wrong in some respect. But this fact of objective truth doesn't seem to stop the frenzy of voices vying for our attention and our allegiance. What then should we do? 
Who should we listen to? Well, there are various answers to this question, but tonight I'd like to focus on the central answer, and that is we must, above all, give our attention to the voice and gospel of God. As we tune the ears of our hearts, one voice should be the loudest and most supreme, and that is the voice of the risen Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as he speaks in the scriptures and preeminently in the gospel, which is the main and central message of the scriptures. If we fail to attentively listen and heed the voice of the very one whose name is truth, then we can be sure that our ability to discern truth from error and everything else we hear will be entirely corrupted. And we will most certainly find ourselves deceived and led astray. This appears to be the central message and concern of the Apostle Paul in his first century letter to the churches of Galatia. Namely, the importance of heeding the gospel of God and rejecting any message or messenger that opposes or contradicts it. And so during our short time together tonight, we will look intently at the apostles' words to the Galatians in verses 6 through 10 of this letter, and we'll find that Paul's main concern in this text is that the Galatians realize that the gospel which Paul preached is God's gospel. And therefore, the Galatians ought to, in fear and humility, heed this gospel. This will also be the main message of the sermon, which applies to everyone here tonight, including myself. And that is, the gospel is the gospel of God. Therefore, fearing God, heed his gospel. The gospel is the gospel of God. Therefore, in the fear of God, heed his gospel. We will look at this message in two points. First, we'll consider what it means that the gospel is the gospel of God. And second, we'll look at the implication of believing this, namely that in the fear of God, we must heed this gospel, which is the very word of his son. I pray that the Lord will cause us to both tremble and rejoice at the privilege of hearing his message to us concerning his gospel, his good news of salvation and glory through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. So let's consider our first point, that the gospel is God's gospel. Now, looking at these verses, it's important to first understand Paul's rhetorical strategy as he addresses the Galatians. He's wanting to show them something, and so he speaks to them in a certain way to get his point across, right? So he says that he is astonished or shocked at something they're doing. Let's read the verse to see what that is. Look look with me at verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, when someone is shocked or astonished at something, it's usually because the thing that they're looking at or hearing about goes against their expectations. If we are shocked at someone's behavior, uh, we think that that person is likely acting in a way that makes no sense. This is what Paul is saying here. Why would you so quickly desert him who called you in the grace of Christ? That makes no sense. Now, the Galatians obviously didn't think their actions were insane or else they likely wouldn't have done it. However, the reason why they did not think their actions were insane is because they weren't interpreting their actions like Paul was interpreting their actions. Look at what he says that they're doing. They are deserting him who called them in the grace of Christ. Now, who is this him? Who who called them? And verse 6, well, I would assert that it clearly refers to God the Father, 
who called the Galatians through the gospel and or I would even say a better translation or clearer translation into the grace of Jesus Christ. So Paul, by expressing his shock, also asserts that the, that the Galatians, alerts the Galatians to the fact that they are not deserting Paul when they desert the gospel that he preached to them, but they're actually deserting God himself, since the gospel that Paul preached is God's gospel. And because it is God's gospel and not Paul's gospel, then there are no other versions or flavors of the gospel that they can subscribe to. It's not simply the Pauline gospel. Uh, Paul did not preach a version of the gospel. He preached the gospel itself from the very lips of Jesus Christ, who he saw in the flesh with his own two eyes. We see this in verses 11 through 13 of this chapter, where Paul even says that the gospel that he preached to them is, quote, not man's gospel. He received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. But this fact, this fact should, should change the way we look at what it means to hear the gospel. Right? This is why Paul makes that caveat in verse 7 of our passage. Let's, let's read that uh, right now. He says, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So here Paul is referring to false teachers who claim to bring another gospel that is different from Paul's, but not entirely separate from Paul's. So they're speaking to the Galatians as if the gospel they heard is the Pauline gospel. That's Paul's version of the gospel. But they want to give them a different take on the gospel. And according to Paul here, what they're really doing is distorting the gospel because there is no other version. There is no other gospel. This should make it clear to us today, then, that there is truly only one gospel, only one good news of salvation. And this gospel is the apostolic gospel, the one revealed in the Holy Scriptures. We'll come back to this verse concerning what it means to distort the gospel, but let's first observe verses 8 through 9. So in verse 8, Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Here, we see the clearest evidence yet that the gospel which Paul preached is the very word of God. This is because Paul pronounces a curse upon anyone, even himself, who would change or distort this gospel in any way. This curse reflects the Old Testament injunction in Deuteronomy 12, 32, through chapter 13, verse 5, against false prophets who would add to or take away from any of the words which God has spoken. Capital punishment, death, was the penalty for such an act. So what's the implication of this? The implication is that the word of God is authoritative, authoritative even over its messengers. Not even the highest office and position in the church, the office of apostle, can exempt someone from taking liberties with God's word. And it also does not exempt us from listening to or believing anyone who would distort or alert the gospel, no matter their position. What an incredible thing to consider, that the very office of apostle does not exempt one from the curse of changing or altering God's word. And yet, isn't this an immense comfort to us today? 
to know that the authority of God's word stands above the potential sin and imperfections of those who preach it to us. In our day, it has become quite common to reject the gospel of God on the basis of the church's behavior or even the sins and imperfections of the ones who preach the gospel. Yet from these verses, we see that none of us have any excuse in ever rejecting the gospel since this gospel is not the word of men, but the word of God. And even the messengers of God's word will themselves be judged by that very word on the last day. Paul shows this later in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, when he himself publicly rebukes Peter, an apostle who temporarily acts hypocritically in a way that Paul says is, quote, not in step with the truth of the gospel. So lastly, let's notice what this says about the nature of church authority. It is the word of God which reigns supreme in our congregational life. And if the teachers and leaders who are installed as our shepherds and teachers begin ever to distort the gospel message, then we are called to reject them. Right? We ought to reject anyone and remove anyone who teaches any other gospel than the gospel of God as, 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 as it is found in the scriptures. In short, then, no one can escape the authority of God's gospel. So let's look at our final verse in the text, verse 10. Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here, Paul is essentially asserting that he does not work for men, but for God. Notice how, God, how Paul relates to God in Christ uh, in this verse. Uh, he says that he is seeking God's approval and trying to please God, yet he then says that he's a servant of Christ, right? So we see that Paul is simply assuming that Christ is God. To follow Christ, to be a servant of Christ, is to be a servant of God, because Christ himself is the Son of God, the divine Son of God. However, what does this verse have to do with the previous verse, right? So in verse 10, he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? And he says that right after he gives this curse. Why does he use the word for? I would say this is because Paul has essentially burned his bridges, right? In a holy boldness, he has just recognized any human being who would attempt to distort the gospel as cursed. And if he was simply a messenger for men or peddling a gospel from other people, he'd have no authority to do this. Additionally, if he showed... If, he shows that he's not self-serving, right? So if the gospel was his own invention, then he would never pronounce a curse on himself if he wanted to perhaps alter or change the gospel in the future. So Paul, in the fear of the Lord, asserts that the gospel message which he has proclaimed comes from the Lord Jesus himself and is therefore the word of God. The members of the churches of Galatia ought to therefore reject any message or messenger which distorts the gospel as something cursed and doomed to destruction, anathema. We should all be careful to do likewise. So given the truth that the gospel belongs to God, let's end by going deeper into what our appropriate response should be. According to the text, it's clear that we should fear God by heeding his gospel. And so... What does it mean to fear the Lord? To fear the Lord is to tremble at the consequences of rejecting his word, knowing that he is holy and that he will justly bring death, ruin, 
and curse upon any who reject or oppose the truth of the gospel, which is the truth of his son. But how do we know if we truly fear God? Well, one way is to see if we heed God's word. Do we, hear, do we heed God's word? The fear of the Lord looks like heeding the gospel, heeding God's word. So let's look at what it means to heed his word now. First, to heed can generally, generally mean to listen and to obey. But more specifically, the way I'm using it is that heeding God's word means to, one, attentively listen to God's word, carefully understand God's word, and faithfully cling to or hold fast to God's word. Given this reality of who God is, we must first be careful to attentively listen to God's word. Attentive listening means that one gives special attention to every word and nuance of the message, since God's word is never haphazard and not one detail of God's speech is an error. When the gospel is proclaimed, as it is found in the Holy Scriptures, one ought to listen to them as the very words of Jesus Christ, who himself is the word of God, the one through whom God's words are made manifest. One of the best examples of this truth is actually found in what can be known as the transfiguration. This was a special event in Jesus' earthly life where he was temporarily transfigured or transformed so that the apostles could see a glimpse of his true glorious identity as the divine son of God. Let's actually just turn there really quick in Matthew 17 and read through verses, uh, read verses one through eight. And we'll see this incredible event And as we read it, try to imagine yourself in the position of the apostles themselves, Peter and John. Begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 17 of Matthew. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. Now, there are many things that we could point out in this passage. Uh, But notice first the terror which the disciples faced. They had no idea that God the Father would address them audibly in such a mighty way. And they must have been overcome by the sheer glory and even the strangeness of it all. Uh, they saw Christ shining like the sun in a thick glory cloud from which God himself proclaimed a simple message. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And today, this same voice thunders from heaven, the very voice of the almighty God, and calls you to listen to the words of his son in the gospel. For the words of Christ in the gospel are the well-pleasing words of the Father. And so with holy and reverent fear, let us be sure to never casually listen to the gospel when it's preached. Let us be careful to never casually gloss over the words of the gospel when we read them. 
for they ever remain the words of God Almighty. We are in the same position as the Galatians in the, in the first century and all the other churches who embrace the gospel of Christ without ever having seen Jesus himself in the flesh. We've never heard an audible voice speak from heaven to any of us. And yet Paul still expects Christians to heed his words as the very words of God. This is because God's word is its own authority. The very words of the gospel bear the imprint and impress of God's pure speech and glory, so that there are none who can hear God's gospel and claim to not know that it is the voice of God. We were all created in God's image, which means that we all have the internal capacity to recognize the voice of our creator and be responsible for what we hear. So when we hear his voice, let us be sure to not harden our hearts. But as Pastor Raymond exhorted us this morning from the book of James, let us hear the Lord's words carefully and humbly and receive his implanted word, which is able to save our souls. At the end of the day, we must all submit to an authority which has no higher authority. And this authority must not be what we see. It must, it must not be our minds. It must not be our own imperfect rationality or someone we think is trustworthy. Rather, it must be the self-authenticating, self-attesting word of God by which all other messages must be qualified or silenced and before whom all other authorities must bow. Let's now turn to finish uh, our last point, last few points concerning what it means to heed heed God's word. Not only ought we to attentively listen to God's speech, but upon listening, we ought to give careful attention to each word so that we might understand and grasp what God has spoken. Paul called the Galatians to reject as cursed anyone who distorted the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, one cannot understand a distortion of the gospel if one doesn't first understand what the gospel is or how it can be distorted, subtly. Now, one common way of understanding the gospel is to see its message in four four parts. God Sin, Christ, response. This is something I've heard for a while. I think it's a helpful structure generally, right? First, this is the simple authoritative message that is being held out to all of us here today. And that is very important for us to remember, mainly because the gospel that we proclaim to others, we have to continue to remember and believe ourselves, right? So first, God. There's one God, an almighty God, who created all things in heaven and in earth. He created us. He called us to love him, to obey him, to honor him. And yet, beginning with our first ancestors, we've sinned. We've rejected him. We've disobeyed his commandments. We've worshiped other gods. We've hated other people. We've envied what they, what they had. We've committed sexual immorality. We have, we have gossiped. We have slandered. We have spoken against the God of heaven by speaking against those who created in his image. We deserve God's wrath in hell forever because we've scorned the God who created us. And yet, this same holy God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that we could never live and to die the death that we deserve for our sins. He was crucified on a Roman cross bearing the penalty of our sin. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose from death he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's seated there, and he will return to judge. And he calls on everyone 
everyone, both small and great, to repent of their sins and trust alone in him for salvation. And when you trust in Christ, you're united to Christ. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are washed in his blood. And he pours out his spirit upon you and gives you his very life so that you might experience glory and eternal life forever. This is the gospel of God. And if you've not yet done so, I urge you to repent and trust in Christ, to heed this gospel. Now, this gospel also has two elements which are both, which are very important for us to discern if we're going to guard ourselves from error. There's both a good goal to the gospel and a good means in the gospel. Both of them are part of the good news. The good goal of the gospel is salvation and glory. Salvation from all your sins, from death and from hell. Salvation from all that has enslaved us to sin. But it's not just salvation, it's also glory. We've been saved from sin so that we might experience glory. We might see the glory of God, reflect the glory of God, spread the glory of God in a new heavens and a new earth forever. All right, so this is the good goal of the gospel, salvation and glory. However, the goal of salvation and glory only comes about by a specific means. And this good means is also part of the good news. The means is faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Faith is a receiving and resting upon Jesus Christ for all that he has promised to be to us and for us in the gospel. The benefits and good goal of the gospel that I just described are found in Jesus Christ. And we become united to Jesus Christ when we trust in him, not when we work for him. Our work flows from our faith in him. This good means of the gospel, though, faith in Jesus Christ, is what was being distorted by the false teachers in Galatia. And it was also what was being distorted before the Protestant Reformation. Many wanted salvation and glory, but salvation and glory through works. But that's not the gospel. In our own day, however, there are also many who distort the good goal of the gospel. They might affirm salvation through faith alone and Jesus Christ alone, but why? Well, not for salvation from sin, but for salvation from a hard life. And not the glory of God, but for the glory of self, or a car, or something, a house, right? This is the prosperity gospel, which is very subtle because it changes the goal of the gospel, by, but retains the means, perhaps, right? Very Protestant to talk about faith alone and Christ alone, but why do you want to be saved, right? So the gospel, to understand the gospel, we have to understand that it's a good means and a good end, and both of, both of these are part of the gospel. So... I would urge us all to be especially careful that we affirm both the good means and the good goal of the gospel of Christ and not be duped by the false teachers of our day. Let us be careful discerners of the gospel message that we hear and remember that there is truly only one gospel and to this gospel alone must we always hold firm, which is the last way to heed God's word, which is to hold firm to it. Let me close and illustrate this simply by reading and commenting on Paul's words to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2, 13-14. Paul says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. 
When we truly hear and understand the gospel as God's word, then nothing, not even the worst suffering, can lead us to abandon it. Let's therefore hold firm to the faithful word of truth, and let's help one another as a church more attentively listen and carefully understand the words and truth of the gospel of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful to have heard the same good news which you brought to the Galatians 2,000 years ago, that we can be justified and glorified in your presence forever through believing in your crucified and resurrected and glorified Son, Jesus Christ. Please grant that we would hold fast to this message and faithfully proclaim it to others. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.